as Paul was saying in verse 8, there's nothing that compares to Jesus. There's nothing that compares to Jesus. And what I hear when Paul is saying this is really an answer to this question of what makes life truly worth living. As I was thinking of this, I was thinking of this beautiful excerpt from a book called A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Now, Viktor Frankl was a neurologist in Austria before he was placed in not one, but four Nazi concentration camps. And because of his astute background of examining the behavior of others, he was very intent on trying to figure out what caused people to go on in the most extreme circumstances a human could face, in hunger, in hard labor, in separation from those that they loved, when all hope, all outward circumstance seemed to point to loss. And he says this, he said, sensitive people who are used to such a rich intellectual life may have suffered much pain. They're often of a delicate constitution, meaning they're maybe a little physical weaker, but the damage to their inner selves was less. They were able to retreat from their terrible surroundings to a life of inner riches and spiritual freedom. Only in this way, one can explain the apparent paradox that some prisoners of a less hearty makeup often seem to survive camp life better than those of a robust nature. I just wanna show a quick photo of Viktor Frankl. This was a real man who lived through these real, incredible circumstances. A man who, like Paul, experiencing things that very few of us do and, and see to live through. And now what I'm not saying is that you can't have a stronger inner life if you're not also physically strong. But what I am saying, like Brian was saying, what Paul was saying, what we put our hope in, what we form our inner thoughts around will ultimately drive and shape our lives when everything outward shifts, changes, or becomes lost. Paul continues in verse 12, and he says, "Now, not that I have already obtained this, talking about resurrection, like the resurrection of Christ, or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. In a different translation, it says, I press on to make it my own, for Christ has made me his own. And I love this. This is a mutual recognition. This is not just us grasping at the concept of God, the concept of Jesus, but God himself taking hold of us through Jesus. For that which Christ Jesus took hold of Paul and us, why? For radical love. Jesus created this way to God that was completely contrary to anything that we can know or do on our own. He did this to show us the deepest fulfillment of our hearts found in Christ, the way to God, your way maker, the one who holds your best in mind. Paul continues in verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet have taken hold of this, once again, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul admits that he was not perfect, though he had all those qualifications. But what he's also saying is that it's okay to forget those things that we have left behind or those things perhaps we are not putting Christ at the center of those things that we just release to God at this altar, at really in his presence. 
because he knew that God had made a way for him. We sing about these things, that God is way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. In Isaiah 43, 19, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the nation of Israel when he's speaking the words of God. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is a characteristic of God. This is a characteristic of Jesus that he makes a way for us, even in places we don't see a way. And leaving these things behind at the altar, these idols, these qualifications, is really an invitation to freedom, an invitation to grow and to resolve and release our whole selves to Christ, making him at the center, even in areas we have not fully obtained. And if you're like me, maybe this concept still seems a little nebulous in nature, meaning it's not super clear. And I, I love what Paul is saying. He's saying it's okay to not know or understand the whole picture yet. He had not obtained the resurrection yet. It's okay to admit imperfection. Actually, we're welcome to, we're called to. And it's okay to recognize that we have not seen perfectly the things that we're pressing towards in their fullness. I'm gonna offer a picture that's helped me. It comes from a con con contemplative, there it is, a prayer book that's really helped me. Um, the print is by Scott Erickson, and the prayer that goes with it is by Justin McRoberts. And the prayer is this. It says, may the reality that I cannot know the whole truth Give me freedom to talk about the part I can see rather than paralyze me. And so we look on this and we see that Paul was a man who could have been easily paralyzed by his situation. He's under house arrest. What he did not know, but instead he proclaimed what he did know, the transformative power of Jesus in his life. To keep walking with God in areas we have not seen but trust that the principles that God gives us in life and to hold as Christ holds us. We must walk out on them to see if they're true. Paul continues in verse 14 and he says, I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's goal and prize was to be with God. That was the prize of his life. He even says early on in Philippians in verses, uh, chapter one, verses 23 to 24, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it's necessary for you that I remain in my body. It's necessary that I stay here with you. And this is profound. This is powerful considering who Paul was. But I think it begs this question for us, this question that Brian was bringing up. Is Jesus the prize of your life? And really, what does it mean for Jesus to be the prize of your life? So we have this, this goal-oriented prize verbiage. Um, namely, Paul is living in this time uh, in the Roman rule, so he'd be familiar with foot races and sporting events. Um, personally, I was not a runner at all. Um, as you can see, I have big shoulders, so I was a swimmer. I was actually a butterfly. So I was really familiar with races, but just more of the aquatic type. So I was familiar with this concept and asking myself this question, what gets you to the final lap? Because see what happens in any race, inevitably, is you train beforehand and you're competing against those who kind of have a like stature or a like physical prowess as you. And there's a point, especially in swimming, 
where you get to that, that third to final lap, where you're about to make your final turn, and you're going for oxygen, you're trying to breathe, but you also wanna stay really straight in the water and coming off that turn. But when you stop getting enough oxygen to your body, your muscles start to break down, your mind starts to become foggy. I know this isn't just true for swimming. And in that moment, something happens. The inner constitution, your inner life, your inner thoughts, your inner concept of what the goal and the prize is actually takes you where your outer constitution can't, where your physical abilities can't. Instances where only the inner can motivate you to the end. Now, lucky for me, I was a part of a team that had this really cool culture. And the culture was this, no matter who you were, whether you were the most popular person on the team, the fastest swimmer, whomever, there was always five to 10 people at the end of your lane during your race cheering for you. I'm gonna put a picture up of this. So this is not my personal experience. I think this is at Berkeley. But there would be about this many people at the end of your lane, even if it was like the first race of the day. And as you're coming into this wall, having these thoughts, as your body is breaking down, you have these friends at the end of the lane to call you higher. Friends that not only are cheering for you, but know what it's like to be in that place where nothing outward can get you to your goal. It takes that inner space, that inner focus on what your prize is to get you there. And they're rooting for you. Paul is writing to these churches, these letters to call them higher, to remind them, to really remind us of the prize. Paul is the person at the end of the proverbial lane of the church, encouraging them towards the goal. Which brings us to this point. When he says, God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Living a life led by Jesus with Jesus as the prize is a life called higher. He continues on in verse 15. All of us then, who are mature, should take hold of such view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I love the candor of Paul. I love how he can be sarcastic, but also really truthful. Maturity, living a life towards the prize of Jesus is not easy. It's not easy. It's rich, it's fulfilling, it's without compare, but it's not without obstacles. Temptations of things to seek that are not God, that can never fill the place of God. But what Paul is bringing us here is the point that the mark of maturity is not the ability to change your circumstances, but your ability to shift your perspective upward, heavenward, to remind yourself where God has been faithful, to acknowledge that Christ has taken hold of you, to cling to the hope and the freedom of the transformative love of God. Paul was a jailed man who knew more freedom than most people do their whole lives. And the second part of what he's saying is this. Perspective shift that will benefit you is catalyzed by God. Again, if there's, if there's something that you don't see in that same way, on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Allow him, allow him. Ask God in the areas of your life that are hard or bringing you pain to shift your perspective. Andrew Murray puts it this way. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. If you know Christ, he's already taken hold of you. But it requires our attention, our affections, our trust. 
to keep going towards the prize of Christ. Paul ends this way, where we're gonna end in verse 16. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. What he's already attained, Paul is talking about the transformative power of the resurrection of Christ. Access to the God of the universe who cares deeply about you. Power from the Spirit of God who guides us in wisdom. And if this is something that you're, you haven't taken hold of, that you're saying, wow, Jesus is not yet Lord of my life. I don't even know what this means to seek him as a prize. The beautiful thing is it's not easy, but it's simple. And it could start now. It's acknowledging God and saying, I'm, I know there's a God who loves me, who is offering a relationship with me, that there's obvious brokenness in this world, but he sent Jesus in the form of a man, fully man, fully God, to be tempted and tried as I am, but to live a perfect life and ultimately stand in that gap and make a way for me to God through his death, burial, and resurrection by overcoming that. And it's just going to God now and saying, Jesus, I need you. I recognize I cannot do life alone, nor do I want to. I want you in my life and I want you to lead it out. And if this is a prayer that you're praying tonight, and you've accepted Christ, the next amazing thing would be to tell somebody because you're not made to do it alone. Go ahead and tell someone in the stream, tell your, your neighbor, your sister, a friend, someone you trust. We wanna plug you in. We wanna keep walking with you. And we'd love for you to join us in what we're gonna do next. So I'm gonna give you guys a few moments. We're gonna take communion together. So we're gonna give you a little time to gather the elements, to gather some bread, any kind, crackers, to gather some wine or some juice. And we're gonna take that together in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Now tonight, I brought my own communion. And this is sincerely just what I had at my home. I have some fresh break bread that my neighbor Sharon made me. So thank you, Sharon. And I brought some juice that I had with me. Yes, this is a Capri Sun. And some of you might be thinking, what on earth are you doing? But what communion was on that first night was Jesus gathering with his disciples, his friends that he walked in ministry with. And they used what they had. At that time, that was bread and that was wine. And he took the elements like we're gonna take the elements and he's gonna explain what they represented. So if you have your bread, if you have your crackers, you can go ahead and follow along with me. He took the bread and he said, this is gonna be my body broken for you. When Jesus was beaten and his body was ultimately broken on the cross, that was for us when he came down in flesh. So thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken for us. We thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made willingly for us. So you go ahead and take that. next, if you have your wine, if you have your juice, if you have your Capri Sun. Jesus took his wine. He said, this is going to be my, a representative of my blood spilled for you. Because you see, when Jesus came, he represented a perfect offering for us. Perfect blood that can cover what our own cannot. He 
He took our place and he offered himself up in that same way and said, by my stripes, by my blood poured down, you'll be healed. So thank you, Jesus, so much for the blood that you poured out for us that covers everything, that there's nothing left that we have to work or strive for or earn, Lord. There's healing in your blood, Jesus, that when you overcame the grave, you overcame death for us all. So thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice again of your blood. Well, thank you for taking communion with us. We're gonna be taking communion at every other service this weekend. So go ahead and save those elements if you'd like to partake again. We're so glad you're with us. But really to thank the Lord and to thank Jesus, we're gonna respond now in a time of worship. So thank you guys. <laughs> 